0: On to the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host as always, Tyler Crawley, and we are going to start. We got a lot to get to. We got a lot, lot lot going on. We're going to get to try and get to all of it here on the podcast, but we are going to be starting with the big report from the Census Bureau and HUD looking at housing starts, permits and completions, and April was not a good month. Okay, everything was down across the board looking at national numbers. So we'll start with housing starts. Always probably the most important number from this report. And housing starts fell 0.2%. It's not a big fall, but a fall nonetheless. They are now at a seasonally adjusted rate of 1.724 million. And some good news, that is 14.6% higher than the same time one year ago. So it fell month over month, but we are still way up from where we were last year. Economists had projected a increase to 1.765 million. So a big miss there. Any way you look at it, uh, obviously the other big category from this report is housing or right, permits, building permits, which fell to a seasonally adjusted rate of now 1.819 million, which is a little bit higher than one year ago, 3.1%, but higher nonetheless. So I will take that as a good sign. And yeah, interestingly enough, economists had projected a bigger drop. (laughs) So a lot of kind of confusing data because here you have them thinking that housing starts are going to go up and they actually fall. And then you have them, a bigger drop being predicted for building permits. And then finally, we all know what's happening with this category, housing completions. Saw the biggest decline, supply chains, we knew this was going to happen. We see it every single day. You talk to anyone in the building industry, they just cannot finish these houses, which is one of the reasons why many project, I, I think, that housing starts and building permits would fall is because many builders are like, look at all these houses that we can't complete. Why are we gonna start another one? That just really highlights how crazy demand is. That even with their inability (laughs) to finish these homes, they're still like, yeah, we're keeping pace with the homes that we need to build. So they fell 5.1% to a seasonally adjusted rate of 1.29 million which is down from one year ago, 8.6%. So a mixed bag with regards to what the predictions were. But all in all, things are still pretty good compared to last year. We're obviously not completing houses, so that's not good. But permits are up, starts are up. And one place where that is true more than anywhere else is the South. So I know how, of course, Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House, famously said that all politics is local, and that, of course, is true when it comes to housing. It's one of the few things that transfers over from my political days here now, looking at housing data, one of those things that actually is true for both politics and economic data looking at housing, it's all local. And the South, and I guess in this case, regional is just dominating across the board. So even though we saw housing starts fall nationally, in the south, they were up 10.6% month over month. Up (laughs) 10.6%, big jump, and they're at a adjusted rate, seasonally adjusted rate of 926,000. Let's go back to housing starts here real quick. Overall. 1.72 million and 926,000 of those are happening in the South. Yes, that is 54%. So one region is responsible for 54% of the housing starts. It's all, it's all local, or all regional, I should say. Uh, the West was number two, a distant second, with a seasonally adjusted rate of 432,000. They were actually up 3.3% month over month. The Midwest and Northeast saw gigantic drops month over month from March to April. The Midwest fell 22% to 184,000 rate, and the Northeast fell 23.2% to a seasonally adjusted rate of 182,000. So sure, we are seeing a slight drop nationally, but the South is just continuing to kill it versus the Northeast and Midwest, which are just not having, and did not have, I should say, a very good April. So it's important to look at the national numbers, but it's also important to see what's happening regionally. And the South just continues to dominate. That's what's so funny about a lot of this national data is you'll see things like that. We'll just say, oh man, look at housing starts are falling and building permits. And as someone in the South, I look at the numbers and I'm like, what, really? Man, it doesn't seem like it. And it's not. (laughs) It's not in the South. It was up 10, almost 11%, 10.6% month over month. Now, one thing that is true is mortgage demand not where it was a year ago. That's all I'm going to say. And a we did see, I think it was three weeks in a row, we saw increases. And we were waiting for it. We knew it was going to happen. And then finally, we saw a drop week over week. Total mortgage demand down 11%. This according to, of course, the Mortgage Bankers Association's latest weekly survey. And this happened despite the fact that they reported that rates fell for that same week. So the purchase index was down 12% week over week and is now down 15% year over year, which is kind of interesting that it's still only down 15% despite that big week over week drop. And refis, we all know what's happening with refis. The refinance index continued its plummet with a 10% drop and is now down... 76% year over year. And in case you're wondering, here's an interesting trivia question. Do you think that the refinance share of mortgage activity increased or decreased? Now you're looking at this and you're saying, well, it fell 10%. So clearly it decreased. That's what I thought until I saw the numbers. And it actually increased to 33% of total applications. Why? Well, because the refis make up such a small number, I mean 33%, or the week before it was 32.4%, but because purchases fell more, when you kind of average that out, it would, it's a smaller actual number, real number, when it comes to the drop in refi, so that's why you saw a slight, very slight uptick to 33% of total mortgage applications. And here's what's interesting, arms we keep hearing about oh my gosh they're blowing up everyone's going and getting an arm it's 2008 all over again well the adjustable rate mortgage share of activity actually fell week over week so don't don't buy the hype okay (laughs) don't buy the doom and gloom the crash bros everyone telling you a crash is around the corner it actually fell small drop the 10.3 percent from 10.8 percent the week before because arms are not the same products That they were in 2008. You need to be able, you need to have more money. You need to have documentation. You need to be able to prove that you can pay a higher rate than the teaser rate that you are getting with the arm. And so they are rate sensitive. It's not automatically, oh, well, I can't afford a conventional, so I'm definitely going to get an arm. Most people are getting arms because they want to save money, not because they can't afford a conventional a 30 year fix. No, no, they're going with arms because they want to save money. They can afford the 30 year. And that is usually the requirement for an arm. You need to be able to afford that higher rate, but proving that you can afford that you are, you can't take advantage of an arm. And so people are like, well, hopefully rates are going to drop. I can do a refi. So I'll take advantage of that lower rate right now and save some money. But you need to qualify for more than what that rate's going to be. So don't believe the hype and they are rate sensitive you think anyone's gonna leave with that headline? Because last week we saw it, right? Oh, arms jump in volume, and this week they fell. not gonna see the headlines. Because it doesn't, it doesn't sell the narrative. There's not a housing crash around the corner, so they can't sell it. They can't so they're not gonna talk about it. You're not gonna hear anything about it. Uh, and as I mentioned, mortgage rates actually fell for the week ending May the 13th. The 30 year fixed was down four basis points. We'll take it to 4.49, or excuse me, 4, <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, 5.49%, which is now 234 basis points higher than one year ago. The 15-year fixed fell six basis points to 4.73%. It is now 219 basis points higher than one year ago. And the 5-1 arm also fell. Five basis points to 4.42%, which is only up 188 basis points than one year ago. Now, Joe Kahn, MBA senior, or oh, no, associate vice president. Where did the senior come from? Where, where, where did I find that? Uh, the, the associate vice president of economic and industry forecasting said that uncertainty with the economy could also be contributing to the slowdown. So it's not just rates. It's not just prices, but people are like, "Eh, my portfolio is not looking so hot right now. So maybe I'm not going to cash out and use that as a down payment. Maybe I'll wait. I'll wait a little bit here. Uh, Khan said, quote, mortgage applications decreased for the first time in three weeks as mortgage rates, despite declining last week, remained over two percentage points higher than a year ago and close to the highest levels. Since 2009, he says home buyers have been put off by higher rates and worsening affordability conditions. Furthermore, general uncertainty about the near term economic outlook, as well as recent stock market volatility, may be causing some households to delay the home search. And it's true. I mean, there's also a I can't I don't know what the psychological term is, but there's an impact when your portfolio is up. So if you're looking at your stock account and all of a sudden you got seven figures in it. And you're like, ooh, that looks pretty good. I could definitely afford a second home or a bigger home or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, that second seven-figure stock account is now in the mid-sixes. <laughs> You've lost 40%, 50%. All of a sudden, you're like, mm, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to get that house. Might might take a little break there and <laughs> leave that money in. The- now, some people that took advantage and took the money out, Maybe back in January, right before we saw this decline. Uh, Yeah, it'd be a great time for them to put it in something else like housing, (laughs) because that's the funny thing is, like, where do you put your money right now? You got inflation, so you can't keep it in cash or lose it 8% a year if you keep it in cash. Can't put it in crypto, (laughs) lose it way more than 8%, maybe 100% if you're buying, what is it, the Terra Luna or the Luna Terra or whatever it is, terror, terrifying, that was that was my dad joke in case you were wondering. So can't put it in crypto. Can't put it in the stock market. Someone said commodities. I saw someone say the commodities. It's probably not a bad idea, but that's trading commodities. I mean, that's that's some advanced that's that's some advanced trading. I mean, I guess you can find some kind of index fund that maybe I don't know, they even have those that copy what's happening with commodities? But the reality is like where do you put it and real estate. Sure, you're not you might not see 20% year over year growth, at least I hope not. Hopefully things calm down, but you're also not going to see the drops like you're seeing in every other place that you can put your money. So a lot of people took money out at the start of the year even with prices elevated. I think it's still a smart investment. If you're going to put your money somewhere, it's a nice inflation hedge putting your money in housing. And we all know that one of the reasons why we're seeing these big drops across the board in all of these asset categories is the Fed. We know what the Fed is doing. The Fed's like, whoop, inflation's too bad. We got to raise rates. And there was an interesting piece over at Barron's by Megan Casella, who says that America's spending spree is going to make the Fed job a little tougher. So we got retail spending, Earlier this week, and the as we talked about here on the podcast, the nominal figure was up. But when you adjust it for inflation, it's down slightly, but just slightly, 0.1% when you adjust for inflation. So people are still spending money, even with 8% inflation, because you assume if everything is remaining the same, you would see an 8% drop in retail spending. So people are saying, I'm not spending any more than this dollar amount, And they're not. They're matching what the new prices are to continue their standard of living. And Casella argues that this quote unquote spending spree, because retail numbers are up, is going to make the Fed's job harder. Because while it's good that the consumer is resilient and it shows that any immediate downturn is or any downturn is not going to be immediate, The unabating consumer demand, Casella writes, can be a double-edged sword, in part because it reinforces the aggressive path that the Federal Reserve has signaled it plans to follow this year and suggests that continued monetary policy tightening will be needed. Diane Swonk, chief economist for Grant Thornton, said in a note on Tuesday that consumer resilience equals a Fed headache. Swank writing that the resilience of the U.S. consumer is also an ability to sustain the inflation. This is also one of the fears for a lot of economists, because you saw this in the late 70s, early 80s, when Volcker was like, hey, we got to deal with this inflation. One of the psychological effects that he was dealing with was that people kind of become used to inflation. They're like, well, I guess this is just part of the, the reality. And we'd rather you keep the inflation Then put the economy into a recession. And even some people are arguing that now. They're like, well, I guess this is just the way it is now. (laughs) People are resilient. It's a good and a bad thing, I guess. So the good news, Swank says, is the consumer is resilient. The bad news, it means the Fed has to be more aggressive in its move to hike rates. That resilience is exactly what the Fed is worried about. The challenge, this is back to Casella, the challenge is that the more the Fed needs to tighten monetary policy, the more difficult it will be to achieve the so-called soft landing. Now, there are some signals that economists say show consumers are starting to react to the higher prices, spending on areas that have seen huge gains like gasoline, which we talked about here on the program, Gasoline prices, I think, are up 43%, 44%, but spending on gasoline is only up 38%. So you're seeing a little bit of a spread there. So people are pulling back on how much gasoline they buy, which, of course, is a reaction to the higher prices. But it shows that there is sort of an elastic component to gasoline. A lot of times gasoline looked at as being inelastic. And that's maybe not the case, when prices reach these levels Uh, and consumer sentiment has also dropped to its lowest level in more than a decade. We're also seeing that with home building, by the way. But Casilla says demand broadly remains strong on goods and that persistent demand looks poised to keep the economy red hot for the time being. And despite surveys showing that Americans are worried about inflation, which Gus Fautcher, chief economist with PNC, said, quote, Pay attention to what consumers are doing, not what they are saying. And it reminds me of people who constantly give bad ratings for their congressmen. Like they'll get a poll. Someone will call them and say, hey, what do you think about Congress? And they'll go, oh, they're the worst, the worst ever, 8%. And they end up with an 8% approval rating. And then you look at the reelection rate for congressmen and it's like 92%. And you're like, okay, clearly people... Are saying one thing but are voting another way. I mean, if if, if people really felt that Congress had an eight percent approval rating, you would see an eight percent reelection rate, not a ninety-two. It's it's like completely reversed. And so, I think it is important to see what people are doing versus what they're saying. You want to look at both, but people's actions are a better indicator of how they really feel about the situation. So, the, as if the Fed's problem wasn't difficult enough. It's a little bit more difficult with some of these retail numbers. All right, we got a lot coming out today. 8:30 jobless claims are expected to fall to 200,000. I've seen a lot of people say that if you want to see what's happening with this economy, if you're concerned that, you know, recessions brewing, that trouble is ahead, look at jobless claims. We should start seeing them slowly rise. And this week, they're supposed to fall. At 10 o'clock, we're going to get mortgage rates from Freddie Mac. And then at 10 a.m. as well, existing home sales are expected to fall 2%. So we'll see that later today, and we will talk about it tomorrow morning for my favorite edition, the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. But you guys, enjoy your Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And remember, as always... Do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.